people tend to hold these private equity deals longer because there's no liquidity. So the, the longer you hold your investments and the more risk that you take within your investments is not always the case, but that's usually how the markets work. The longer you have and the more risk you take, the more return you can expect over time. I'm Amanda Hanquist, The Fit Financial. There's a lot of truth and a lot of fluff out there in the influencer world today, especially when it comes to finances. So how do we determine what's truth and what's sales copy? Here's what I've learned. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. One thing you'll learn in life, when it comes to money, there's no free lunch. So this week on the Fit Financial Podcast, Sean and I are breaking down Tony Robbins' new book, The Holy Grail of Investing, to help you determine if it's worth the read. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the kids are home again. I feel like our kids hardly ever have school these days. <laughs> this is a true thing. And um, I remember we always went to school. It's just crazy how that has changed. Like, we always but... have school. like, they just had a day off last week. They have Friday off today. They have two days off next week. And then it's spring break. It's like, Dang, these kids never have school, I swear. I'm probably just a little more jealous than anything, but <laughs> <laughs> I just you, you wonder if they're you wonder if they're learning what everything that they should be learning. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that will like time will tell, I guess. Time I will tell. To, there you go. I taught Hudson how to make uh, rice from the rice cooker today, and he did nice. it by himself. And I think he did a fine job. I mean, there was nice. rice everywhere, but, you know, other than that, the house is still standing and we have rice. So that's good. I don't know if you know this, but he, he also called me about the rice maker too this morning. So. Oh, he did. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, let's get into the topic for today. Tony Robbins, Holy Grail of Investing. So Sean and I were listening to the Ed Milet podcast a couple weeks ago, and um, he had Tony Robbins on there. If that's not a dynamic duo that mm. both have a huge amount of influence. And so um, it was a powerful episode. There were probably mm -hmm. millions of people between the two uh, influencers and their audiences Millions of people, I'm sure, that listened to it. And so we thought, let's take the influencer out of the episode and break it down mm -hmm. from the financial professional perspective. Um, mm -hmm. So his book is coming out literally the day, um, well, I think it's February 13th. So this will... It, the book will already be out and yeah. this will help you decide is it worth buying or not as you mentioned like those um guys have big personalities and it was very compelling and i personally enjoyed the podcast and you know long story short you'd have to listen to the podcast but like 
I've been talking about that stuff for years upon years. It's just, it's so funny when someone like Tony Robbins can like articulate it 100 times better <laughs> than I can articulate it. And it just, it speaks to the masses. It's, it's pretty cool. And it's pretty cool. And, and it's not something that he works with day in and day out, but his job is to be an influencer and, and that's why he's able to articulate it. I think that we sometimes forget and we'll get into this, but I think that we sometimes forget that um, the true professionals out there aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily make the best influencers, no offense, Sean, but um, you, you know, a lot of your time is taken up in your craft and studying and putting these into motion and practice. And you are not necessarily that. And, and a lot of times that means you are an analytical individual. You get under the hood. You, you um, are making sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And a lot of times that means you don't necessarily have the most charismatic online type of personality. Um, but I think that's, mm -hmm. that's a good thing. Uh, well, kind of depends on which side you're looking at it. <laughs> I would probably take Tony's um, pocketbook or his, his uh, nest egg. Yeah. His charismatic personality and motivational, but that's what he does. He's, He's very motivational and, and can empower people. And it is a different um, trade, a different skill set. I just think it's really cool that these individuals are, are talking about some of these topics. Um, the only part of it, and I know you're going to get into this, is a sad thing is, is 99% of the general public, it doesn't even it's not even relevant for 99% of the general public. But that's who's going to be buying this book. Um, trying to look for like the silver bullet yeah yeah let's get into let's get into that because i think that it's um definitely great that they're able to bring awareness to this topic that is really um i guess sort of boring and melodramatic and you know not necessarily talked about a lot right and so it's kind of cool in a way but we're going to kind of break down like who is this for? Um, why is he even bringing this up if 99% of the population don't necessarily qualify or meet this particular mold? Um, but let's start mm -hmm. talking with one of the main ideas that he brought to the table, which is this thing called private equity. First of all, Sean, what does private equity mean exactly? Yeah, the... The whole dynamic of private equity, a lot of times you're going to be talking about like startup companies uh, are companies that have scale and growth, but they have not been taken public yet. So the public companies are your Amazons and Apples that are already on the like public exchange where anybody um, can have access to buy their shares and you can buy and sell their shares on a daily basis, uh, minute by minute, it's just readily liquid and available. Where the the flip side is private is is um, there it's privately owned. So that doesn't mean that you can buy and sell, you know, the shares of the company. And the only way that you would get access to like being a private um, equity owner is like if you become a general partner or liability partner of an like actual entity. So let's talk about why necessarily like this 
sounds great, right? Um, everybody is already investing in the Amazons and the Apples, and you know, it's almost like everybody has their money there. And why not venture into this private equity sector that seems like this mysterious, like club type of thing? Um, and you know, mm -hmm. you've said 95 to 99 percent of the general population are not necessarily positioned to be able to do this type of um, opportunity or have this type of opportunity. Why is that? Who who is somebody that meets the standard mm -hmm. for this? Yeah, and the 95 to 99 percent of the general public that I'm talking about, like I don't know the exact number, but what we do know, and there's studies been. Um, out there that what 60% of the general population don't even have a thousand dollars saved up for emergency reserves. And when you're talking about private equity, you have to talk about there is no liquidity. And I mentioned that briefly earlier, there's little to no liquidity. So if you needed to sell your shares of Apple, you could, and that money could be in your bank account in the next 48 hours. But when you own a company, you can't just necessarily sell. So you have to have a lot of assets and a lot of liquidity to be able to invest in these kind of um, investment vehicles. Liquidity, just for reference, is money that you can access if you need it. So if you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have three to six months of emergency reserve, so three to six months of bills in an easily accessible, can access it within a week, um, money available, if you aren't saving 20% of your net income for your future, these are some of the basic, I guess, things that you need to be doing before we even like consider some of these other options out there. So money has yep. to be just free and clear for you to be able to then consider, hmm, what are some of these other cool options out there? Yep. So due to the complexity and illiquidity and nature, um, the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, um, governments have mandated like rules that in order to get into private equities, private debts, private real estates, you need to be considered a accredited investor. And that status currently is at $200,000 for a single individual or $300,000 of taxable income for a married couple. And that has to be for two consecutive years before you could even qualify um, as a accredited investor or have a, a million dollars of net worth excluding the value and the net worth that you have in your primary residence. Yeah, so if you've been a nutrition coach that's been wildly successful for the last nine months and you're just like, man, it's raining money and things are going super well. And I have a lot of excess cash. What do I do with like, you need to just sit in that position for a good two years. And when that feels really good and you've got all of those other foundational things met, then I, I would assume you would be more considered an accredited investor. Yep. So that's where I kind of come up with that 99% of the general public is not going to necessarily be able to qualify for these type of investments. And you have to be willing to hold on to this private equity for probably a minimum of five years, if not 15 years, so they can do what they do best. And 
grow and scale the entities, the companies that they're controlling and, you know, trying to either bring them to the public markets. And then there's where you would get some liquidity because then you could shell, sell your shares on the exchange. Or maybe they're going to look at M&A or getting acquired by a bigger company. And then that's when your profits come from your investment in the private equity. No. What? M&A. Like merger and acquisitions. So sometimes when you're scaling a company um, and you have, you know, kind of a moat around a certain industry or you're doing something really well, a bigger company with more um, capital may come in and, and purchase you. And that would be an exit for, the, you know, the private equity firm. And then that's when you could have your liquidity event and get your, you know, returns and, and how, you know, historically returns of private equity has been really good because you have to hold on to that investment for a considerable amount of time and that's usually the the success in the stock market is taking risk and being in the market a long time and that kind of is how private equity is just set up and that's you know historically the the returns on the private equity has been um really really good and and i just think it's by design too is you got these experts coming in um helping out companies to grow and scale them do what they do best they don't have to worry about liquidations or company, you know, people selling. They can just, you know, take this company to the next level. And then, you know, everybody wins at the end when they are able to sell. So everybody's motivations and everybody's um, end outcome is aligned. And that's why you do, do see a lot of success in the private equity markets. Oh, and you had mentioned this earlier, but like I said, Tony and Ed Milet are bringing up some really great topics that aren't talked about a lot, especially are not shined onto the limelight of the influencer spectrum, so to speak. As you mentioned, like, what is the ultimate goal and purpose of airing that podcast and having that particular conversation? And it's because Tony has a book coming out. And so I I love that we're able to bring this information to you and I'm, I'm trying to make it digestible. I know Sean is... We, he doesn't get enough credit for how incredibly intelligent he is, but sometimes that gets the best of him because then I'm over here like, hey, what's that? What's that mean? What's this? At the end of the day, Tony and Ed's job is to be influencers right now. Like they, they've made, you know, Ed especially, he was in the financial industry for a lot of years before even becoming an influencer. The goal is to sell the holy grail of investing oh. book, who like the most people possible. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's um, I think for those that really are at this level of being an accredited investor and do have excess cash flow and liquidity and a huge part of their portfolio is not a concern, that's fantastic. Let's listen. Let's break this down for you. However, yeah. if you're the rest of us, right? Like he's trying to get you to sell a book on a hope and a promise that you, um, this is the holy grail of investing. and and I'm going to be, you know, the one to tell you the holy grail of investing is pay off your bad, crappy debt, have your emergency mm -hmm. fund and start investing 20%. That's the holy freaking grail. There's none of this other crap. Yeah. If you're not this person, that's going to do it right. for you. So, well, and that brings up a good point. Um, I, I love where you bring that up because like we work with business owners, entrepreneurs, scaling and growing. And what happens to those entrepreneurs when they skip steps in the foundational pieces of business? Absolutely. 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 They have to either completely burn their ship to the ground and start again with something yep. new 
or they have a huge mess to clean up or they have to quit altogether and do something else. Yeah, the exact same thing is going to happen in the investment, you know, foundational piece. You build your foundational piece, and once you get there, um, then that's when you start exploring and looking at these ideas. But if you don't have the 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 emergency reserves, you don't have the retirement accounts going, you don't have the the business scaling and growing and having excess cash on a year by year basis, you know, going into illiquid investments is probably not ideal, and it's, it's skipping way too many steps. Like Tony Robbins, Holy Grail of Investing is the Optivia. It's the Weight Watchers. It's the like, you know, and it's great and it's perfect for who it's who it's for. It's for but but right. none of us can argue that, uh, for example, if if you're trying, if you're working with a client and they're they're just like coming to you, like help me, like what do I do? Give me the magic trick. And you're like, dude, you just have to quit eating like an asshole and start exercising. <laughs> Like yeah. that's, that's and, the magic sauce, you know? <laughs> and, right. And then, you know, he's talking about the the general partnerships of these private equity, you know, firms and companies and deals like, you know, honestly, to get into that kind of a deal, you're looking at maybe a one to $5 million minimum investment. And I don't know, you know, oh, too many people that would that be, you don't need. yeah, of, of, you know, $5 million that you might not get back for five to 15 years. There's not a lot of people that can do that. Um, now, uh, some of the other private equity firms that go to registered, registered investment advisory firms like ourselves or big organizations, you can get into like the $50,000, but a lot of them are like $250,000 minimums. So that's where it takes a substantial size of, of net worth and capital to be able to do this. And, and when you can, we are, we are believers in, in private equity, um, but they're for the ultra, you know, higher net worth individuals. And, and ultimately we start talking about that when people hit those, you know, accredited investors um, uh, benchmarks and then, and then beyond, and then you add as you go, these type of alternative investments is what we call them. So let's talk about this whole 30,000 foot view, you know, the ideas of why performance has and can be really good. So the, the idea is emotion gets involved a lot. Um, when you have access to like your 401k platform, your brokerage, and you see your stocks or your bonds fluctuating on a daily basis, that's that a lot of times is you get some irrational type of behavior and you get too much emotion involved. And a lot of times people maybe will sell when the markets are down or when greed gets involved and the markets are high, that's like when people are buying. So when you see fluctuation in your like portfolio statements, or if you log on to your Schwab or Vanguard or whatever, people are buying and selling based on emotion. I think the media pumps that side of things up a lot too. Creating so fear. If Yeah. And so if you're somebody that watches the media a lot and follows, especially the politics a lot and you know, you're always on your, your stock market phone app. Um, you're, yep. you know, you're going to constantly see these fluctuations. And if you're making moves based off of that, that's going to be a really yeah. uh, hard position you're putting yourself in. Yeah. So then uh, the, the private side of funds, they're not priced daily. So like if someone had bought a, some kind of private fund from us, you know, they'd have $50,000 on their statement. That $50,000 doesn't fluctuate. Um, you know, and then they get their dividend. If it's a dividend paying type of um, investment, 
And then, you know, at the end is when they would get their positive return. I mean, it's not always positive. You may get less than you invested in it. But my point is, is it's not as emotional because it's not fluctuating in your portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the, and we touched base on the second point here earlier on this. People tend to hold these private equity deals longer because there's no liquidity. So the the longer you hold your investments and the more risk that you take within your investments is not always the case, but that's usually how the markets work. The longer you have and the more risk you take, the more return you can expect over time. This kind of goes back to the point of time in the market versus timing the market, Mm -hmm. because you Mm -hmm. take um, 2008, for example, when if an individual was literally a year or two away from retiring, I mean, they're sweating bullets. They've lost a huge chunk of their portfolio. And and that is such a detriment to somebody that has worked their whole life to then, um, you know, go and, and plan to retire in a couple of years. But if you're somebody that was 10, 15 years out from retiring, like, It, I mean, yeah, it kind of sucks to see that, you know, or it was, it was not ideal to see that huge downturn, but if you just left it alone for 10 years, mm-hmm. like literally that was fine. It was just a dip and it came back and it was no problem. Yeah. And, and a lot of people that are long-term focused, they kind of, obviously they're buying more shares at a lower price. Right. Yeah. And and if you had diversification, you and you maybe had a, a private equity deal in your portfolio, you didn't see the big bump. So that's when you're designing portfolios is just you kind of need to know what the client's goals are and their time frames. And that's usually where you can create success as long as um, you're aligning the clients aligning with their advisor and they're building out a very diverse type of portfolio. Uh, but that was a very good point. Um, so that that created a lot of emotion. And there's a lot of individuals that, you know, during COVID, like the market's going down, going down, going down. Well, they they put sell and then put all their money in cash. And then and then that, that was emotional. Right. And then the market comes well, screaming back and they that, just lost their money. Not only that, but what happened during COVID? I mean, everybody was shut down and shut in and turning the TV on. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it was yeah. like doomsday. And I think that's honestly right. um, at the point where you and I decided to quit watching the news. And we might watch it briefly a couple times a month, but for the most part, we we rarely watch the news. I have a yeah. newsletter that I um, read once a week or so called Daily Brew that I keeps me up with just whatever the heck's happening in the world. And, and that's the extent. And I think that's really important because it keeps Mm -hmm. us out of the weeds of day-to-day fluctuation that way. Now let's move on. Like if you don't have, and I know we've touched on this, but I really want to kind of bring it home that like, if you don't have $100,000 to your name or even $250,000 to your name to where it's I don't want to say it's no big deal because I I think you could be a multimillionaire and that's still going to be a rough day if if you lost $100,000 of cash, right? But my point is, is it's not going to change your lifestyle if you lost that money, meaning you're not going to have to sell your home. You're not going to have to change where your kids go to school. Like, you know, I mean, your your life's, that's a hard day, but your life's not going to change if you lost $250,000. 
Yeah. And sometimes, you uh, you know, where I think you're saying sometimes you can lose it in a private equity deal or stock. It, it, it does happen. Right. But at, I think what you're kind of referring to is that $250,000 is kind of locked up. It's, it's tied up in this investment vehicle that there's no liquidity. And yeah. as entrepreneurs, that's really hard to face. You know, uh, you know, it's not uncommon that we've seen entrepreneurs scale and scale and scale and then um, spend everything they have and forget about taxes. And now they got a you know a million, two million dollar tax lien. And oh, by the way, I put this five hundred thousand as private equity deal I can't get back. And now you just have created like a shit storm for yourself um, not knowing it. So it is really difficult on the entrepreneur space when you don't have consistent income. It can go up for a couple of years and then you maybe hit a wall and then, you know, you might need some of that capital to keep operating your business. So what I'm saying here is I don't ever want you to jeopardize your livelihood. And then that's your business because you're trying to take advantage of the Holy grail of investing, right? Like it's there and it will be there for you someday, but you just need to make sure it's the right timing. Um, I find it really interesting with entrepreneurs of they're very aggressive with their business and the decisions they make within their business. But a lot of times when it comes to their excess cash, they're very conservative with it. Mm-hmm. Just a really so then, interesting dynamic. So then explain mm-hmm. to me when you're doing tolerance, where does that person typically lie? Would they be more aggressive then? Yeah. Or would they be more conservative because of their personal cash that they can't seem to part with? Yeah, I I would have to say I see a lot of like moderate, um, moderate aggressive and and deep down of like, oh, this person's aggressive. Like they're going crazy on their business and making these decisions and reinvesting and doing things. And then we, we start talking about their excess cash and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like I did not see that coming. Um, they, they, they're more moderate or they're more conservative. And I don't know the exact ratio. It's just what I've experienced that you would think 10 out of 10 of the entrepreneurs would be aggressive, but it, it doesn't work out that way. And so a lot of people are very emotionally attached to their business. And, and, and I totally agree. A lot of times uh, I'll hear the conversation. If I reinvest my business, I can make a higher ROI and, and I'm in agreement majority of the time but the problem lies is most of these service-based businesses they're not building a sellable business so if that's all you're constantly trade you know chasing is roi increase in revenue in your business and you haven't ever created any wealth outside of your business you're kind of leading down a, a path to a disaster if something would happen to you either with your health or if the industry would change and if you've never pulled any money out and built net worth outside of the business so that's kind of what i see on that aspect I think that's why we talk a lot about diversity and how diversity is so important. You're not saying don't ever spend back into your business because the ROI is great. And that is a great investment for you to put some money back into, but, but it can't be all that you put your money into because then um, what if it doesn't give you an ROI on that investment? Um, You know, your, your life can change in an instant and you just want to make sure you're diversified outside of just your business. Our business is, is like, our baby, right? We we want to make sure it's just top notch and yeah. it's our lifeline, and we want to be able to feed it appropriately. Um, but it's important to have things on the other side of that as well. Yeah, and I guess I just want to really um, hit home here of like everybody's personal situation is different. You know, your risk. We talked about risk. Your cash position. Um, your what stage of life you're in. So like. It's not a one size fits all. It's very specific to each individual person situation. 
Um, so when you're making those financial decisions or getting guidance from someone that doesn't know your specific situation, just, you know, I don't I listen, obviously they may have something good to say, but you really need to truly evaluate your personal situation before you would want to act upon any of that. Well, I think all of these ideas are great to take note of and bring up to your financial professional as an idea and a discussion. Um, I'm not saying that they can't at least be talked about. And if it is a great situation for you, that's fantastic. Um, you know, so if you want to read the Holy Grail of investing, read it, earmark some ideas, yeah. take them to your financial well, planner. Does it work for your situation? Yeah. And that's, I kind of want to end on that part of this of like, that, in my opinion, is the cherry on top. That is when you've done all the work and you've created that cash machine, that net worth. Now we start looking at that kind of stuff. And then that's where you can really create the generational wealth. Once you have the main thing, the main thing, and you've laid that foundation, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I think that just goes back to your financial planner loves talking about these. These are cool strategies. These are really awesome ideas. We just want to forewarn you that they're definitely not for everyone. And until you have mm -hmm. the foundation of finance in place, let's keep our blinders on and let's focus. Let's keep our head down. And, and your financial planner doesn't want to hold you back. Uh, I mean, most of the time, the financial planner's incentive is in line with like building your net worth. So ultimately, they want you to build your net worth as big as it possibly can. But they just don't want you to skip steps and enter in, you know, danger zones um and and being informed so yeah reach out like this is this is our jam and and this is where we want to take you and we want you to get to the final stage of investing but you just yeah. you just can't skip the steps you know i was uh, given an opportunity to um invest some of our dollars into um i guess building my brand with the fit financial and it was going to be a, a large chunk of our um, cash, if you will. And Sean and I sat down and, and we have this thing where it has to meet three different checkpoints in order for us to invest into it and to say yes to it. And my uh, first checkpoint is I am first a wife and a mom. And does that new idea fill mm -hmm. that, right? And then number two, are we meeting our foundational goals first? Meaning are we, do we have our emergency reserve? Do we have our 20%, right? Um, yeah. All of those things. And then number three, is this shiny object syndrome, another distraction, or is this fully aligned with what we're trying to do here at Fit Wealth? Those are our three checkpoints. And it was one of those things where, I really wanted to do this. And I came to Sean practically like, you know, convincing him how great of an idea this was. And maybe I'll share it at some point down the road, but it is a five-year vision for me. So I'm going to just keep it at that right now. Um, but we went through these three checkpoints and it didn't meet any of them. Not right mm -hmm. now at this point in time, it didn't meet any of them. And so I think that it's one of those things where we have to, step away from the emotion and have a process that we can go through and decide, does this meet our process mm -hmm. outside of emotion? Does it meet what is the most valuable to us outside of that emotion? If the answer is right. no, 
if it doesn't meet all three of those checkpoints, then the, the answer is no. Yeah, I think that's definitely a foundational piece that m most couples, um, individuals should try to implement. And then um, I think it would create a lot of, and you mentioned the shiny object syndrome, like I think you would really stay true to your, your mission and your values if you could implement that. Or if you get posed with a certain investment or a great opportunity, just go back to your list and, and, and you can reference it. And it'll, um, you know, you may, you know, miss out on a great opportunity now and then, but I bet you nine out of 10 of those weren't the great opportunity that you're looking for. Well, and I think it's important to realize is, is it really a missing out thing or is that just part of the sales technique? So let's talk about why at FitWell, we lead with tax planning first instead of all of these <laughs> sexy, sexy investments investment ideas. This <laughs> <laughs> really makes me laugh because you've kind of mentioned this before is like, I literally suck at sales. <laughs> Let's just face it. Like, <laughs> it's not, say that. I may have the, the, <laughs> the fluffy stuff, the storytelling I'm trying, but the fluffy stuff is just not my jam. Um, and and it, it's, it's probably, it just relates back to like the financial industry in itself is like, I can't predict the future. I mean, recommending and putting your money in, in private equity or the private markets, I can't guarantee you a higher rate of return over the next 10 years. Nothing makes a, a professional, a true professional, like licensed professional in the financial world cringe more than like the holy grail or, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. those sexy, nothing makes. Just like the, the real estate, it, this the real estate side thing is everywhere from taxes to growth to the only way to build your wealth. And it's like, I still couldn't well, guarantee where, you a higher rate of return over the next 10 years with real estate. Right? Where I get frustrated though, is every time I open Instagram, I see these individuals that are like calling themselves investors and they're a glorified mm -hmm. business coach. They're, they, they aren't like, yeah. They, they call yeah. themselves investors on their profile and on their bios. And it's like, they're, they're just like mm. teaching people how to grow their Instagram page. And a lot of them have started investments, you know, within the last three to five years and haven't been through a bear market on say right. the real estate side. So there's just a lot of time will tell, but you know, and, and then it goes into the insurance industry. I can't, you know, sell you an insurance policy or sell you some kind of fixed annuity and, and guarantee you a better outcome over the next 10 years because no one can predict the future. So I, I really like to take the, you know, the emotion and I don't want to the, the emotion to drive the decision to work with me. Um, I know that's how the sales side of things work, but the it boils down to like, I'm a realist, right? So if I can provide you $40,000 of tax savings, that's real dollars. Maybe and it's $13,000. And that's something that you can actually show and you can actually see. But I think it's right. anything with tax and tax planning and tax strategy. It's it's just not as, as sexy as, you know, this real estate investment that's going to make millions. But the the reality is is these would be true dollar savings and and maybe it's thirteen thousand dollars in your situation maybe it's one hundred seventy thousand dollars you know it really just depends on the situation but that is something that I can sell 
or at least I should be able to sell. Like if you came to me and said, here, here's some tax planning and we're looking at $40,000 of savings. Like, yes, I could sell that. I'm just not the sales guy that what, what they call it. sell icicles to Eskimo type of guy. Like that's just not me. Um, so that's why we really, um, I like to gravitate, gravitate towards tax planning because I can really show you some value, um, because I can't necessarily predict the markets or the future and where exactly to put your money. Um, but we do have the custom portfolios and we do have access to the private managers. I just, I like to be able to sleep at night, you know, knowing that my clients are, you know, saving money to the build their future. They have a solid foundation. We're minimizing taxes. We're not overly concentrated in certain investments. Um, and my clients are not, not looking for the silver bullet. Um, you know, that's just, that's not the way to build long-term wealth. You hit on it earlier, Amanda, of like, it's not going to just be one thing that you do that's going to create that ultimate lifetime success. It's just a series of things. And it's an ongoing, you know, comprehensive looking at the full picture over the course of time is what's going to create that genera generational wealth. And, and I like to call it too, is the accountability side of things that is there that people don't necessarily price in because the accountability piece is just priceless to go over you know the 10 20 30 years to make sure you're constantly on track of doing the right things yes you know and it's a book i mean it can't be what more than 20 bucks so if you're really that curious go for it just get the book it's not gonna hurt anything but my point though is that we don't want to start putting chunks of money somewhere if we don't have our checkpoints met if we don't can't part with that money right and if it's not aligned with with our values okay well we are going there and i thank you guys for listening and we'll let you guys decide what you think think about the holy grail of investing tony robbins new book that is out now. thank you for listening to the fit financial if you like this episode please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review you can find me on social at The Fit Financial, or if you'd like to know how you can work with us directly, please visit fitwealthadvisors.com slash contact. The Fit Financial is brought to you by Fit Wealth Advisors, a partner of Plan Group Financial. Plan Group Financial is an investment advisor registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Registration as an investment advisor does not apply a level of skill or training. This presentation has been provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or investment advice or a recommendation of any particular security or strategy. The investment strategy and themes discussed may be unsuitable for investors depending on their specific investment objectives and financial situation.